Let's do our declaration before we get into the word of God. Um, by the way, I, I don't know if I said this, but I'm Alvin, lead pastor here of the church. Uh, I know there's some first-time guests here, so um, I'm, 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 I'm supposed to be up here. I'm, I'm, I'm the leader of this church. I'm not as random as I might seem. Um, that would be really funny if I was just some, some dude <laughs> coming up. Um, it can happen. Um, so yeah, I'm Lee Pastor. So glad that you're here. Let's let's do this declaration together. Say the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in a series for the month of August. We're calling it Work It Out. Work It Out is the name of this series. And the premise of this series is to teach a very important uh, principle and truth about um, our lives. And that is everything that is happening on the inside uh, must get out, must reach our external Lives. The Bible says out of the heart flows every issue of life. So we see this reoccurring concept in Scripture, and I believe it's a universal law even outside of the Christian faith, that what's happening on the inside has uh, got to get its way out. Um, as Christians, I want to speak specifically on our salvation. The foundational Scripture for this series is Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if you read this wrong, you can see the word work and salvation, and you can tense up and freak out as if we're saying you've got to work for your salvation. The gospel is not that you work for your salvation. Salvation's a gift. And if you were to work for it, then, then it would no longer be a gift. It would be compensation. It would be payment. Salvation is a gift. You cannot work for it. However, once you receive the gift, it is a command from the Lord for us to work it out, for us to take what's been done on the inside and do the work for it to reach our external lives. Uh, the reason why that external part is so important, the reason why it's got to get outside of us, because it's not until it reaches the outside of us that it can bless anybody else. As long as it's hoarded inside and as long as it's hiding on the inside, uh, the tragic thing about that is it doesn't do anybody any good. Uh, Jesus says, you know, if, if a lamp is hidden, then it can't bring light to anybody. So the reason why we work out our salvation is not to be saved, but so our salvation can be of benefits to other people. Does that make sense? So we've got to learn how to live from the inside out. How to live from the inside out. Luke chapter 8 verse 17 is another scripture that I think will help make this make sense more. Uh, Jesus says, for nothing, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. 
nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. So I say that, and I want to speak that scripture because it can apply to anything. Like, no matter what is hidden, no matter what's on the inside, Jesus says it's going to come out one way or another. And a lot of times, you know, my mind at least goes to sin and the negative things that's in my life and how that's going to get out. But I think we could apply this as well to our salvation. Whatever is on the inside, it needs to make its way out. It's, it's, it's a universal law that, that things flow from the inside out. So if indeed you are saved, if you have received the gift of salvation, just know that it's extremely natural and uh, appropriate for that salvation to work its way outside of you. And we see scriptures that talk about making sure that once we are saved, once we are healed, it needs to get out. It needs to be heard. It needs to be seen because yet again, assuming that you all care, it is not until it gets outside of you that it will be able to be of benefit to anyone else, which is then also a benefit to you. So we see that everybody wins once our salvation gets out. Psalm 107 Verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. It's a very simple and practical command. If you've been redeemed, say it. If you've been redeemed, talk about it. If you've been redeemed, express it. Because how will anybody know that redemption exists unless the redeemed talk about it? There are people today that have no idea that genuine redemption exists. And God forbid, it's because the redeemed are too quiet about it. I know that, you know, spirituality is personal to you, but it is not, for the saints, it is not called to be private. I'm not, I know that might not be our preference, but our salvation was not intended to be private. Yes, it's personal, but personal and private are not the same things. Don't use the fact that your faith is personal to you to justify the reason of keeping your mouth shut. Because if the redeemed don't speak and say so, then those who are not redeemed can never hear about it. So this is a very practical command, and I know that God is calling us out, but that's what he does. He calls us out of our corner. He calls us out of our shell. He calls us out of what we believe our limitations are and what we believe our boundaries are. The Lord is, has very little regard to our personal limitations and boundaries. Just ask Moses. Just ask David. Just ask Noah. Just ask Jonah. Just ask Paul. If you think the Lord is going to honor your limitations without challenging you to come out of that shell, you don't know God yet. <laughs> because God is constantly drawing us further into the deep, further away from that safety net that we call comfort into his perfect will for our lives. So God's will for your life is to share about your redemption. Another scripture, New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you, talking to the believers, if you're a believer, this you are the you. You are a chosen race. He picked you. A royal priesthood. He promoted you. A holy nation. He purged you. He cleansed you. 
a people for his own possession. He owns you. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So notice how he prefaces it with, you're chosen, you're royal, you've been made holy, you're his own possession. And the purpose, the reason why he went through all this trouble is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one who did all this work for you. Jesus did a lot of work for you to be saved, guys. I know you received it just like that, but he didn't give it just like that. It, was, it took generations for this salvation plan to happen. It took thousands of, of, of years for this salvation plan. It took, it took the, the blood to shed. It took pain. It took thorns in his head. It took ridicule. It took betrayal, all so that we could easily receive our salvation with just confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart. God has made it so accessible. He's made it so easy which is great, but don't mistake the ease of your salvation for the, the inexpensive cost of your salvation. Um, so my point is, he went through a lot of work, and he's, he's not asking much in return. He's, he, he, it's a gift, but his request is, for those who've received the gift, could you at least talk about the one who gave it to you? Could you at least give me a shout out every once in a while? Could you at least talk about the excellencies of the one who did all this work so that you could be free today? To me, that's a pretty fair request. Do you agree? Do you agree that's the least that we can do for those of us who are recipients of his salvation? Do you believe that it's a pretty fair trade to take all that salvation gives and just to talk about him, to talk about his greatness, to praise him so that others can reap the same benefit. This is how we get the salvation that's inside of us out. The first step is just at least say so. Say I've been redeemed. Say I've been saved by Jesus. Say, say he cleansed me of my sins. And I'm not saying that you've got to be a preacher, per se, in the sense that you're up here in front of everybody. You know, you can say so to one person at lunch. You can say so to your kids. It doesn't have to be in front of hundreds of people. Say so. Let somebody hear about your redemption. Start with one. For those of you who might get easily overwhelmed at the thought of sharing, just think of one. I mean, call your grandma. Call, call, call someone that's an easy amen. Call someone that's not even, you know, just to warm up. Warm up. Practice with someone who's easy to talk to. I'm not saying you got to go to the, the most passionate atheist in the world that has all the arguments why God isn't real and tell them why you're redeemed. You'll get there maybe, but start with the low-hanging fruit and just practice saying that you're redeemed. Practice saying that Jesus saved my life. It will do blessings not only to the person listening, 
but it will do it for you. Every time I share my testimony, it always ends up blessing me, and it's my story. It blesses, hopefully, the people that I'm sharing with, but it reminds me of what God has done in my life. Because when you're speaking, you hear yourself speak. So you'll actually bless yourself as a listener to your own story of redemption. It's pretty amazing. I highly encourage everyone to find a space, find an audience, find someone to hear about your redemption. It will bring life both to the listener and to you. So there's a lot of different ways of manifesting your salvation. One is saying so. To me, that's the most basic one. The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. I think the most powerful thing you can do is speak about the goodness of God, and, and it brings life. But another way is what we're, having, what we're celebrating today, and that is baptism. Baptism is another way of manifesting your salvation, taking the salvation that you've received and moving it from the inward uh, occurrence and uh, faith to something that is experienced externally. The book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38. It says, and Peter said to them, to a whole crowd of people who wanted to be saved, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The reason why baptism is only natural for the believer is because it's taking what happened by faith and then demonstrating it outwardly. That's probably one of my uh, convictions about where the church is, where I would like to see us um, step more into, and that's demonstration. We need more demonstrations of our faith. Paul said that demonstrations and and outward whether signs and wonders whether whether different things that show the power of God we need to be demonstrating our faith more we can talk about it but then we need to demonstrate it and being baptized is a very elementary but very foundational thing about elementary things is it is elementary but you can't skip it some of us want to be mature and deep that we skip elementary things Elementary things are basic, but they're foundational. You can't take the next step until you do the elementary. So many of us are trying to dig deep into deep theology and prophecy, and, and we still haven't been baptized. It's an elementary thing, but we can't skip it because it's elementary. We need to make sure we go back to it and do it because that's one of the first demonstrations it was built to be one of the first demonstrations that you experience once you receive Jesus. Water baptism is a fundamental step in working out your salvation. Fundamental means it's one of the basic things that you stand on. It's the fundamental things that you can build the rest of your life with. So we can't skip the fundamental things because it will compromise the integrity of what you're building. 
Baptism is a fundamental step in working out your salvation. And the reason why, I've got three reasons. One is baptism is an act of following Jesus. It's one of the first tangible things that you can do to demonstrate following Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was baptized. I believe that's one of the first things that a believer can do that's literally following Jesus. Let's read about Jesus' baptism. Um, uh, let me cite this. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The reason why John the Baptist was confused that Jesus wanted to be baptized is because Jesus had no sin. He was a spotless lamb. What did he need to cleanse himself from? It was almost comical seeing Jesus in the baptism line saying, I'm next, baptize me. And John's like, but what? If anything, we, you should be baptizing us. You're the Messiah. But he said he wanted to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, now, Jesus came to the earth not for his salvation but for ours. Jesus was already in heaven. He was already, he already was in paradise. He already had his eternity totally uh, secure. Everything that he did in earth was in context to us, including being baptized. Jesus wasn't baptized to be cleansed from his sin. He was baptized because he was the head and the first fruit of a family that all would need to be baptized. He knew that I am the head of the church and everyone that's coming behind me is going to be baptized and I need to be the first. I need to demonstrate, there goes that word again, I need to demonstrate righteousness. Not because I'm not righteous, but those who are coming behind me, it's important that they have an example. That's why he fasted. That's why he did all the things, so that we would have an example of how it's done. Jesus is one of those leaders that don't just say, go. He says, come. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He actually says, I'm going to do everything that I'm telling you all to do. So I want you guys to obey the Father. I'm going to obey the Father. I'm telling you guys to be baptized. I'm going to be baptized. He was affirmed by the Father, not because he didn't know that he was God's son, but notice it's, not in, it's in third person. He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That affirmation was so that the others could know that he was the son of God. It was to affirm him publicly so that others can know that this man is the Messiah. So we see the baptism of Jesus was really for us to have an example, for us to 
be inspired, for us to be able to follow him in his, his footsteps. Baptism is like most things in our salvation, and it's less about us and more about others. Jesus paved that world. That baptism was less about him and more about you guys, more about us. Same with our baptism. When you guys get baptized today, it's powerful, but it's also outward so it can bring blessing to us. You guys are going to minister to us by being baptized today because it's going to be a demonstration of salvation, and it's going to bring life because it's an outward expression of what's happening on the inside of your heart. So we commend you today and everybody else who's going to make the decision later. The second reason why baptism is a fundamental step in working out your salvation is baptism is an act of conforming to the church. Now, I know we live in a day and age where conforming is, is uh, a bad word. It's a very unpopular word because we're individuals and God has uniquely made us and all of that. And I agree. I, 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 uh, I agree. I'm an individual. I like being different in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying that you have to not enjoy what makes you uniquely you. But we can't take that so far to where we push back into, we push back against conforming to the church. Um, it's very beneficial that you all learn the importance and the benefits of conforming to the church. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Jesus makes it clear that he's only coming back for one bride. He's not a polygamist. He's coming back for one bride. So don't be so individual and don't be so on your own path that when he comes back for the conformed one united bride, you're somewhere over there being you. I'm, I'm not anti you dressing the way you want to dress and having your style, but don't let it take you to where you're being deceived, to where the things that you're supposed to do that is supposed to be like everybody else, you miss out and the bride's over here and you're over here, okay, I, you know, God's called me to mark to my own beat, and you're missing the bride. There's one bride that he's coming for. So if you do not have enough conforming, uh, a capacity to conform to the church, you're going to curse yourself. And I just want to make sure, and I think it's effective that it's coming from, you know, a creative individual guy. I scored four on the Enneagram. I, I, and this is me saying this. So let it count for something, Okay. I'm not, I'm not anti-artistic expression and individuality, but we cannot ignore that we are called to conform to the body. Please don't let individuality deceive you into rebellion. Please. And this is coming from a self-proclaimed individual person. We all must learn to conform to the church if we want to be, if we want Jesus to come back for us. Because he said he's only coming back for one bride. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, 
What does that look like? For instance, the reason why I listed that scripture for being conformed, because us being baptized is something that thousands have done before us. It's not new. And even though God is doing a new thing, he still has things that he wants us to do that he's been calling generations to do for for centuries. Ever since the first apostles, it was the sanctioned tradition for people to be baptized. For the first 12 disciples, that's what they were called to do. And they baptized people and they taught them to do the same thing. That's how we're in 2021 and still talking about baptism and still talking about communion and still talking about the sanctity of marriage. The reason why that we're still doing these things in 2021 because they were meant to be passed down from generation, from year one to year 100 to year 500 to year 1,000 to year 1,005 to 2,000 to 2021. So when you're being baptized, you are conforming to what generations of saints have done before you. Please don't resent that. Please don't resent the, the honor of joining in to what saints have done, the saints of God have done for centuries, and it's meant to continue on. So please don't push back to baptism because it's old school. Because it's something that is meant to still be alive today. Please don't miss an opportunity to conform. And I call it opportunity for a reason. Don't miss an opportunity to conform to the church. Because Jesus loves the church. Jesus is exclusive to using the church. Please do yourself a favor and conform to the institution that he first made up. He designed this, and he loves this church. He loves the body of Christ. So this is definitely a way to conform, and that's why I believe, and I think it's, it sets the pace, because if we push back to conforming to, the, to, to Christ and to the church by baptism, then we're going to resist in a lot of other ways we're supposed to conform. And it's, it's just a great way to get yourself in the rhythm of saying, I am not the first saint and I won't be the last, but I'm so grateful to be in this number. The number of saints, the martyrs, you're, you're conforming yourself to the legacy and the heritage of the church. So let's make sure we honor that. And the third reason why Water baptism is a fundamental step in working out your salvation. Is baptism is promoting Jesus to unbelievers. When you get baptized, it's a way of promoting Jesus. And in case I don't know if you guys knew, but the church is the promo team for Jesus. And I don't know. Sometimes people, I hear this said sometimes, and I get it, but I'm like, no. Because, you know, Jesus doesn't need my help. He's God all by himself. He doesn't need, okay, what I am hearing that I like is that you're saying Jesus is awesome. But what I don't like is that you're contradicting the very job that the word says that you have. 
Again, guys, let's not be more spiritual than Jesus. Let's not be so humble that we are rebellious. That's called false humility. If Jesus says that you are the people who are called to proclaim my greatness, don't turn around and say, God doesn't need my help proclaiming his greatness. It sounds humble, but it's really just disobedient. Jesus says that the church is the institution that has been sanctioned to shine his light and proclaim his glory. So don't let your humility to his greatness keep your mouth shut because God doesn't need me to. Regardless, that's not your call to make. You can't tell Jesus what he needs. If he tells you to do something, you can't say, well, you don't need that. I mean, what is that? If Jesus tells you to give a certain amount, well, that person doesn't need that money. You don't know what's going on. Who do you think you are? Somebody great. Somebody smarter than God, apparently. If Jesus says you are sanctioned to proclaim his goodness, accept it and do it. <laughs> so when we get baptized, and this is connected to point two, we conform to the church. And conforming is essential as much as many of us resist, you know, man, my granddad did that and my old church did that and God's calling me out of that. Yeah, okay, yeah, maybe some things, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't, don't close your door to the things that you're actually supposed to conform to. And the reason why I'm still talking about conforming and the reason why it ties into point three is because John 17 says that it's the unity of the church that actually lets unbelievers know that Jesus is the Son of God. See, these are the, these are the reason why it's just smart sometimes to just do it even if you don't understand everything. Because we don't think like this. We, we, we just, we don't realize how many other things are attached to our actions. We, got, we have to remember that we're children of God. Even if you are 50 years old with a huge beard, you are still a child of God. And the reason why that word is so important for us, especially adult men, to realize is it paints a picture of father-son, father-daughter relationships. Parents in the room understand the importance of your kids obeying you whether they understand the repercussions of their obedience or not. Kids underst parents understand that kids, when you're three years old, you're not thinking about this spinach is going to help my digestive system and, and strengthen my bones so I can have the energy to go to school tomorrow. Kids aren't thinking about all that. And the cool thing about kids is they don't have to think that. They're, all they have to do is what their parents say. Parents are the ones knowing that the reason why you have to look both ways is because I know that cars are coming. I know that people text when they drive. I know all the, it's the parent's job to be thinking about all of these things. And it's the kid's job to just do what mom and dad said. 
because kids don't have the capacity to comprehend all the ins and outs that's connected to why dad or mom said do this and don't do that. And parents, the reason why you might be hesitant to say amen because you know where I'm going with this. Parents know what I'm talking about. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know what's coming. Because as children of God, we have to understand that not only can we comprehend the reason why we're supposed to do everything, but we're not even supposed to. Because God's ways are beyond. And when he asks us to do things, we have to trust that there is a wisdom and a judgment and a perspective and a vantage point that I will never have. And praise God, I don't have to have it, which is why obedience is our responsibility. Our res There's nowhere in scriptures where it says your responsibility is to figure out everything that God is doing in the world. It's not even your responsibility. We're stressing over things that aren't even our responsibility. Our responsibility is to obey because the one who's giving you the commands is the one who's figured everything out. Now, it's, it's, it's his responsibility to know everything that's going on in the world, but it's not ours. So when he says to be baptized, when he says to submit to this, when he says to pray, when he says to do these things, it's awesome if you understand it, but it's not a requirement. So when it says be baptized, sometimes it's just, okay, I'm going to be baptized. And some of us, I just don't want to do anything that I don't know yet. Well, let the fact that you know that God said do it be enough. Like, is that unfathomable these days for the fact that God said to do it be enough? Like, do you not, do you really think, I mean, that, that goes back to we, do we trust him? Do we trust his wisdom? Do we trust that he is God? And that's where pride gets involved and all that stuff. So my point is, when we conform, it gives us, it builds unity. The church is in great need of unity. The church is so segmented and divided by individual opinions and individual quirks and individual cultures that we look like one body with Ten heads. We look like a monster. And the Lord is trying to give us the instructions for us to conform so that we can start looking like one church. And the reason why that's so important, guys, is not even for you. And that's why I really want to appeal to your heart that cares about others. I said this last week. It always drives... It, the Lord has built this thing to where if we don't care about others, it's going to show. Because in order to take heed to what I'm saying, you gotta have a, you got to have a heart for people besides yourself. Because unity in the church is actually a greater blessing for others than it even is for us. I said this last week, a lot of us are deceived that we think that our obedience is only going to benefit our lives. And as long as the enemy thinks that your obedience is only of benefit to you, then it will be easy for you to justify disobedience because ultimately you're the only person who's having to suffer. And the Lord, the enemy knows that if we think we're the only people who have to suffer for our choices, then 
it's easier to continue making bad choices because only one person is having to suffer the repercussions. But if we allow our minds and our eyes to open that there are actually families and generations and hundreds of people and coworkers that are affected by your choices, we would live differently. The same thing goes for the church. If the church is divided, you're still, if you're saved, you're still going to heaven. If the church is not united, Salvation is you believe in Jesus. You're going to heaven. You've got your ticket. But does anything rise up in your heart? Does anything, is there, is there any reaction in you to hear that if the church is not united, it's the non-believers that will suffer the most? Because it's not until they see a united church that they will say, Jesus is Lord. Do you care at all that other people are going to suffer because of our division? Do we care at all that, that our lack of ability to conform to the greater body is costing people's ability to see Jesus? You're saved whether or not you conform to certain things because salvation is a gift, and you have it. And praise God that we have salvation, but we need to start caring about the salvation of others more than we do. I'm not saying you don't care at all but I'm saying we all need to care more. Do you guys know that the scripture says that heaven, people who are already there, throw huge rejoicing parties when one person gets saved, and they're in heaven. That's a picture of what I'm talking about. People whose eternity is already secure, but they still care about somebody else's eternity. Don't be a Christian that you're so secure that you're saved that there's so little regard for those who are going to hell currently. The Bible says, Jesus says, when the church is one, people will believe that I am the one that you sent. And ultimately, that's what I want. And I want to lead a church that cares if people believe in Jesus. And we see the blueprint. We must become one. Now, being one takes a lot of steps. There's a lot of things that need to be united for us to be perfectly one, especially the standard of one that Jesus said in John 17. Jesus said, make the church as one as you and me are. Jesus said that the church should be as united as the Father and the Son. That's pretty united. Are we there yet? No. But it's good to have that standard so we can have a mark, so we can have a target. So he says, make them one. And I believe there are a lot of things that I don't think that's, I don't think it's one step. I don't think it's more than just a notion. It's more than a song where everyone's holding hands on the album cover to unite the church. It's going to take more than cosmetic things that we do, which are not wrong, but it's not going to really happen until we start making practical decisions. We can't just say, if we talk about unity long enough, it's going to happen. If we, 
If we wish it long enough, we've got to actually take what's inside and get it outside. And all I'm saying today is that being baptized, think of it, if nothing else, it's a step towards the church conforming and becoming one. It's not the only step, but I believe it's a foundational step that every single person who professes Jesus decides to get into this water and be baptized. And it's a way to show, man, all these people, man. I've seen people get saved from being invited to someone's baptism. Like, it's, it's a powerful thing. And I know, I, I want to just re, refresh the, the power of it because since it is so common and yeah, yeah, been there, done that. I just want to make sure that we don't um, brush off the fundamentals because it's the fundamentals that will support everything else that we're building on top of it. Oh, John 17. We already have that. That they may be all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. <sighs> Last scripture, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. It says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Remember I said he was coming for a bride? There's a marriage that's happening between Christ and his bride, which is the church. He says, and his bride has made herself ready. Now, you got to read the words for what it says. It says the bride is making herself ready. Jesus told us what to do, and that's it. It's our job to actually do what he's saying. The bride, we've got to make ourselves ready. Brides, those of you who've been brides before, you know how important it is. Some of y'all are hiring makeup people and hair people and all because we, I got to be ready for this. This is, I'm, I got to be ready. I got to be ready for this. If the church could reflect the level of effort and attention to detail that women do before their wedding, we're going to be spotless. And I'm not downing women. It makes sense. Get yourself ready. I mean, this is my wedding. The Lord knew what he was doing when he made that analogy. So women especially, for those of you who know how important it will be for you to be ready for this presentation, for this marriage, for this wedding, that's the picture that the Lord is painting for the church. We've got to be doing what it is to make ourselves ready. Because when he comes, he's coming for one bride. So part of making us ready is uniting and finding out, Lord, what are ways? that Let me help you all out. These are prayers you should pray. Lord, what are ways that have not yet to conform to the bride that you're coming for? What are some ways where I'm still resisting what, what the body of Christ is doing? What are some ways where I'm not united with the church? 
and there's probably going to be a significant list of things. I know there will be a list for me. But I want you guys to start thinking in terms of us more than me. Us more than I. We are an us. The church is a collective. Yes, it's made of wonderful individuals. But ultimately, when God sees us, he sees one church. And I'm teaching about this in context to this day of baptism because I believe that being baptized is one of the most initial fundamental ways to do it. So I would like to extend an invitation to anyone who wants to be baptized. I'm going to ask for the music team to get up. For the next bit, we are going to um, lead into this part of the service. But before we have people get baptized, I want to offer salvation. Because salvation has to happen. Baptism is the outward manifestation of what's happening on the inside. So we have to first make sure that everyone has a chance to receive Jesus in their heart. To say goodbye to who you used to be and yes to the new man or the new woman that Christ has called you to be. So I'm going to ask us all to stand. I don't want to take for granted. I don't want to assume that every single person here has made Jesus their Lord. So I'm going to invite us and lead us through a prayer. And this is between you and God. It's got to be um, something that you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. But I'll, I'm here to lead us in it, and the church has agreed. We like to say it with you so you're not the only one. So church, all together, say this prayer after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate what's happening on the inside. Miracles are happening on the inside right now. Miracles. God is giving you a new heart. He's putting a new spirit in you. He's removing that heart of stone. He's putting a heart of flesh. He's giving you the mind of Christ. He's renewing your entire life. He's wiping your entire past totally clean. He's cleansing you. That's what's happening when you receive Jesus. If you said yes to him, here's some info on the screen. Just text us, say yes to Jesus to 7741. And the reason why we ask is because it lets us know that people said yes to Jesus, but we also can give you some content, that's some scriptures, some foundational scriptures that will help you in your faith. We want to support you. We are a family. You are not alone. So if you text us, we will be happy to sit, share with you some resources that you can use in your personal time to build your faith.